It is with great sadness that the programmers of Women's Issues, Women's Voices recognize the passing of Judy Human on March 4th at the age of 75. We are re-airing a book discussion that we did of Judy's autobiography earlier in this year in honor of her life and in recognition of her passing. Our hope is that a little bit of her bravery and strength and, and rage and empowerment is now a part of each one of us. We hope you enjoy. Good evening, this is Victoria. You are listening to Women's Issues, Women's Voices on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia. Women's Issues, Women's Voices is a feminist talk show with a rotating group of hosts. We offer a platform for women to share stories, discuss political issues, and offer concepts to expand the perceptual lens. And this evening we are doing our book discussion group. Um, this is, uh, we've committed that when there are five Mondays in the month, we will commit the fourth Monday to discussing a book that we feel is um, important to share with the listeners. And this evening in the Zoom studio, I have with me my sister programmer, Sarah Catlin, and special guest, Madison Chambers, to discuss the book, Being Human by, by Judy Human. And um, the synopsis of the book that we pulled from the Daniel Boone Regional Library website is that it is, so it is a memoir by one of the most influential disability rights activists in US history, um, that is Judy Human. She tells her personal story of fighting for the right to receive an education, have a job and just be human. A story of fighting to belong in a world that wasn't built for all of us and of one woman's activism from the streets of Brooklyn and San Francisco to inside the halls of Washington. Being Human, which her, that's her last name, H-E-U-M-A-N-N, -N, recounts Judy Human's lifelong battle to achieve respect, acceptance, and inclusion in society. Judy Human is an internationally recognized leader in the disability rights independent living movement. And she is the author of this memoir. The actual memoir is called Being Human, H-E-U-M-A-N-N, an unrepentant memoir of a disability rights activist. She wrote it with Christian Joyner. It was published in 2020. And the Daniel Boone Regional Library has like six copies. It's wonderful. So good evening. Good evening, my 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 co-conspirators here. Hello. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, welcome, welcome. We've so, been talking about getting together to talk about this book for months. We planned to do it for ADA Awareness Month. What was that? In, in October, I believe. October and didn't yeah. quite get it, get ourselves together. Yeah. So I read this back then and I've been really looking forward to this discussion. Yeah. And I actually, I'm one of those people that I'm really glad when we actually don't do it in the month of, mm -hmm. because I feel like then that, you know, everything gets done in the month of, mm -hmm. and this is, this is one of those topics that is important to talk about. All the time. All year round. Yep. All year round. Um, Agreed. So yeah, so we just wanted to start out giving each of our perspectives um, because we are, we do come from different, uh, we were born in different decades. <laughs> um, so I, 
I come to this book, um, I was born when, when Judy Human was 17 years old. So as I'm reading the book and I'm realizing, um, you know, the ADA didn't pass until I was 26. Um, so, you know, it really made me sit back and think about, well, when I was in grade school, there wasn't, uh, there, there weren't kids in wheelchairs or kids with special needs. They just weren't there. And, you know, it, 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 not that it hadn't occurred to me because I feel like, you know, I'm a, I am a, a fairly aware woke person. Um, but this book really <sighs> invited me to keep stepping back and thinking about the people that I hadn't seen in my life just because they weren't there because they, you know, it, there, it, there wasn't, it wasn't accessible. There was no uh, welcoming to have them in, in the schools and in the shops and in the library. Like I think about our, our library to get into our, our little library there in uh, my hometown, lots of steps, right? And now it's all accessible. Um, so, so yeah, so for me, that's, that was, uh, the big takeaway that I took from the book was, uh, just slowing down and realizing how really recent disability rights are and, and how fragile, how quickly we could go back to a time where they, it, just invisible, completely invisible. I guess I can talk second and we can sort of keep us in historical order. So I'm about a decade younger than Victoria. I was born in the early seventies. Um, and when I was in school, you know, ADA wasn't signed until 1990. So I was, that would have been like my sophomore year, my junior year mm -hmm. of, of high school. So through all of my elementary, um, I never had kids in class with me um, who had visible disabilities, you know, that I was aware of, wheelchairs, crutches, anything like that. And um, if those kids were around, it was probably kind of what Judy experienced. They were probably hidden away somewhere in one school in the school district in their own little room. Mm -hmm. And actually, now that I say that, my most intense exposure to folks uh, with disabilities would be I substitute taught for a semester. And that would have been between undergraduate and graduate degrees. And that would have been like 1997. So about mm -hmm. seven years after the ADA was signed. And I went back to my old high school. Often I would get called there because they knew me. And there, my first assignment was, was in the room where they kept these kids, a bunch of kids in wheelchairs, some mm -hmm. of them nonverbal. Um, so, so, you know, fairly some fairly significant mm -hmm. challenges they were facing. Um, and they did have them all collected in one room. And some of them who were a little more um, able to mainstream, as they called it, mm -hmm. would push out for an hour here or an hour there during the day with me or someone else with them into an English class or a math class. But for the most part, they were kind of hidden mm -hmm. in this little room, kind of like a dirty secret, frankly. Mm -hmm. And even then at that age, it felt gross to me. I didn't... Mm -hmm. 
I didn't understand. And before that, I mean, it seems like growing up uh, before the ADA, people, people with disabilities in general, there was like kind of two worldviews. They were either seen as like tragic victims, right? Oh, how sad, uh, which Judy fights against, and Judy Human fights against that. She said, you know, I never felt like a victim. I never felt sad mm-hmm. about it. I never wished I wasn't disabled. She says that in the book, but that's how they were characterized as tragic or sad or kind of like these cute little like pets. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? Like they were like little mascots or pets or like, yay, you know, like mm-hmm. something, but not ever like a holy, a fully realized person, mm-hmm. you know, that had needs and wants and, and, you know, always kind of objectified and either is a tragic thing or like a, like a mascot or a pet. So right, yeah, that was, right. that was my, that was my mm-hmm. culture that I grew up in. And then you're mm-hmm. considerably younger, Madison. How about you? Um, what were some of your experiences growing up? Yes. So I was born in 1997, which would have been seven the same years. year I was in that classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After the ADA was signed. So, um, you know, the things that I actually started remembering, maybe not until like, mm-hmm. I don't know, 2005, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. a couple of years before that, whenever I went to elementary school and I remember, um, I remember kids in wheelchairs, motorized wheelchairs and like my young, maybe first, second grade. Um, and I remember having kids with cochlear implants and, um, you know, they were in our classrooms and I feel like, you know, maybe it was the inverse where they would go to special therapies for an hour out of the day, but they were still in class with us. Um, Not to say that that was everybody's experience, but Mm -hmm. I don't think, um, oh, I kind of lost my train of thought here. (laughs) That's okay. It happens. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was just one of those things where, you know, they, they were with us now still the stereotypes or maybe what they experienced in school was not um, the same as their peers. I'm sure whether Mm -hmm. it was from looks or bullying or just being made to feel different in whatever ways. Um, so I think that, you know, my takeaway from this book and the biggest thing for Judy was that, you know, it's not a disability. Everybody has the potential, whether it is through an accident Mm -hmm. or just natural process of aging to become disabled. So not seeing it as, a tragedy or like something to overcome or something that, you know, something she wouldn't change for herself. And so I think that that perspective was big for me and also realizing, I don't think I knew that this didn't all take place at the same time as the civil rights act Act in the sixties. I don't know what I, assumed there quite, but I just kind of thought it all kind of went together. And I did not know that um, disabled peoples really advocated for themselves, whether it was the sit-ins or climbing the steps. So that was really cool and really mm-hmm. kind of eye-opening to me. And of course it makes sense. And I knew about some of the intersectional work with um, other feminist movements and the Black Panthers and stuff like that at the time. But just really interesting so I thoroughly enjoyed the book I feel like 
to what you were saying, Victoria, if you consider yourself um, empathetic or woke and knowledgeable about things, you still might learn something just because it's so specific and not talked about independently. It's not Mm -hmm. always discussed like disability rights um, specifically. And and that's, so that's, I mean, just to talk about this book in specific, um, you know, regardless of the topic, she has a writing style that really, I mean, I do not read memoirs. Like I just don't generally mm-hmm. do not. I'm a, I'm a non-fiction, uh, a fiction girl. I'm totally a fiction, I'm a fi- girl, right? Me too, you know, by I, choice. I love, and I love character development and all that. And she is able to do that in this book um, in, in such a way that I felt really engaged with the characters and then had the added, uh, the added piece that these characters are real human beings. This is not somebody's fictional story. Um, so that's, if, if you want a book to learn more about, uh, disability rights and, and the life of this disability rights activist, this is such a great, it's an easy, it's a, uh, an easy read. I feel like it just really flowed. Um, there are two things that we just touched on that I wanna, that I feel like were really important in the book. Um, one is her, her um, having the realization when she was fairly young that other people saw her as sick and that she did not see herself as sick, she she knew she was different. She knew she had these these challenges, but really being uh, clarifying this difference. And I've been thinking about that a lot um, because the the community that I tend to work with with, with disabilities are folks who have uh, who have survived brain injury, and it's like that differentiation between like yes, yeah, she was sick. She had polio. That was an illness that she lived with. And then she had what, how her body had been affected, but she was no longer sick. And so that's one of the things, if, if you wanna touch on that at all. And the other is the, 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 the description when she realizes that in this classroom uh, that she's in, that she's like nine, but there's kids in the classroom that are 18 and they can't read yet. And she recognizes it's because society has no expectation of them. That like, because her legs doesn't work, don't work, they, there's no expectation that her brain will work or that she'll have desires or that she'll be able to, you know, progress in any way. And so I'm just wondering your, your thoughts or feelings on either or both of those subjects anything more you want to add? Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. Uh, I had also kind of noticed that moment. And I just made a, I didn't write a whole lot down as I was reading, but early on that moment when she's outside in her chair and she's playing with the other kids and a kid who doesn't normally play with them comes into the picture and he stands in front of me. She writes, he stands, he stood in front of me, staring down at me in my wheelchair. Are you sick? He asked me loudly. I stared at him, not understanding. What? Are you sick? He repeated insistently. His voice boomed. I shook my head, trying to clear the words away. I was still confused. 
And then he said it again, slowing the words down as if I were a toddler. And so she like, she was so not in a place where she considered herself sick. She didn't even, couldn't even comprehend what mm -hmm. he was implying. So she, and that at that moment, she had this awakening of how she was being viewed by this other kid. And it mm -hmm. explained a lot in her mind, all these connections started. Oh, so that's why this is happening. This is why I'm not allowed to school. You know, all these connections mm -hmm. started being made about things that she was unaware of. And just this innocent moment. Yeah. That she didn't think of herself as as you said, sick. And it was through the eyes of another kid at a fair, you know, fairly mature age that she first even thought, knew that that was a thing that people mm -hmm. thought about her and she was being mm -hmm. defined that way by others. Yeah. And I think yeah. something similar to that happens even later in the book. This is once, um, I don't remember exactly what age she was at, but she was in a motorized wheelchair and I believe she was doing work in Africa and she was, you know, wheeling around and I think a child saw her and got very scared whenever she was in motion um and again it was kind of you know she didn't realize at all because I think it was a child with a disability maybe even a child who needed a was in a wheelchair I can't remember all of the details but had never seen a motorized one mm -hmm. and just the realization that even this child who could benefit from having access to something like this was so terrified of it because they had no exposure. And so I really liked, one thing I really liked in this book was as her work progressed and it moved um, you know, outside of her community and then across the United States. And then eventually, I mean, she was doing work with the UN and the World Bank and just yeah. huge, huge things. So. You know, that's something that when she was nine years old, she went through and then just kind of having those moments throughout life. And ironically, it's with children, right? The most honest, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. unfiltered. Yeah, that um, she kind of learned those lessons of how she's perceived by others. Um, and so I don't know, just really really interesting take on all of that it, she's just so easy to like mm. she's so mm -hmm. likable as a as a person you know her voice is so honest and true um she's clearly just such a good person and an un a not bitter person right she's I mean anybody could be bitter from the experiences it would be it's mm -hmm. amazing that she's not bitter She's not a bitter person. She's delightful. I mean, I think she would be really fun to just hang out with. Hang out with. She seems like a lovely person. And, and I just want okay, Sarah, that made me think of a part of the book that I found myself uh, really, my heart really feeling is when, and I, and I don't remember the specifics, but she was talking about realizing the, oh, it was this whole thing about like, when to take a stand mm -hmm. metaphorically right when to say <laughs> no but right yeah well I mean I think she even says yeah. that right like how to take oh, right. a stand oh, for she, yourself she, when she you're would, in a wheelchair she would totally make a joke about that yeah she yeah totally exactly. joke about it um but and 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 seeing the times that her oh it was her her even though they were Jewish her mother had put her into like a Sunday school to just because her mother just to get her around her, some kids. 
get, get around kids and expand her awareness. And that there was um, some part of the Sunday school where they would go down in the basement and her and the and the minister offering to carry Judy down and the mother saying, no, you don't need to. She doesn't need to go. And and Judy talking and, and just the I mean, that was a section where her like trying to understand when her what what was it that sometimes her mother would be like, no you're not going to treat my daughter differently. This is going to happen. And then there were other times that her mother would be like, oh no, we don't want to like, and it was this whole thing about her mother trying to figure out how, so that she was never a burden. And, and I'm just, even just reading that piece, I mean, just such a human experience that we all, I mean, I, I feel like I, I really like, oh, when am I being too much? When am I being not enough? When am I, you know, what is setting a boundary and what is being a, mm -hmm, right? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. It's yeah. so interesting that this book is 200 pages, Victoria, and I only wrote down maybe eight things and mm -hmm. you've already hit on three of them. And that was mm -hmm. one of the other moments that mm -hmm. also stuck out for me. Um, she wrote, my mother worried when my needs became a burden. Right. implied for other for others right and it was mm -hmm. that moment of the of the the pastor needing to carry her and she didn't want she didn't want judy be carrying judy down the stairs to become a burden for him because she was afraid when judy became a burden then judy wouldn't be invited to sunday school anymore and i just i, right. I was yeah. thinking to myself how that is such a female traditionally female attitude right to not take up mm. space to not cause any trouble. I mean, that's how a lot of women are raised, um, especially in the Midwest where I grew up. You know, you don't want to be a lot of trouble. You don't draw attention to yourself. People more of your generation, Victoria, or earlier, you know, you weren't supposed to be in the newspaper except when you were born, you got married, and you died. And if you did anything newsworthy outside of those three events, it was yep. not good because you yeah, didn't draw attention to yourself, right? It was not yep. ladylike. Because that was one of the and things so I'm laughing it was so because interesting. Uh, literally don't don't do anything that would get you on the front page of the paper right because right? it's never that, good if you're a woman was... and you're in the paper it's not for a good reason and mm -hmm. you know she says an unrepentant memoir and there's that tension throughout this right of her of judy coming to terms with how you know how i don't i want to i don't want to cause a problem but i'm going to have to cause a problem because I'm not getting what I need and I'm going to have mm -hmm. to get out of my comfort zone and learn to be loud and learn mm -hmm. to be a nuisance. And she, as we'll talk about later, when they start the occupy, occupying buildings. Yeah. Totally a nuisance. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So we have about a minute in this first half and I think that's a really, so, so folks, if you're just tuning in, um, we are discussing uh, Judith Human's memoir, and her last name is spelled H-E-U-M-A-N-N. -N. So the title is a play on her last name because it's being human. So H-E-U-M-A-N-N, -N, an unrepentant memoir of a disability rights activist. They have multiple copies at the at Daniel Boone Regional Library. Um, and, um, and I just love, I mean, even if all you do is go out and look, I think just by 
sitting and letting yourself look at the cover. I mean, this, she's got this smile on her face. You know, you, you, you know, this is somebody that's uh, gonna, uh, she's gonna tell a good joke. She's gonna pull a good prank, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, but she's also gonna get the work done. So um, join us in the second half. It is with great sadness that the programmers of Women's Issues, Women's Voices recognize the passing of Judy Human on March 4th at the age of 75. We are re-airing a book discussion that we did of Judy's autobiography earlier in this year in honor of her life and in recognition of her passing. Our hope is that a little bit of her bravery and strength and, and rage and empowerment is now a part of each one of us. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back. This is Women's Issues, Women's Voices, and this is our quarterly book discussion group. And I'm, if you're just tuning in, I'm here with Sarah and Madison, and we are discussing uh, Judith Human's memoir, Being Human, an unrepentant memoir of a disability rights activist. And so in the first half, we were talking a little bit about our own experience of the book and our, you know, in, and our life and how we uh, were changed by reading this book. Um, and in this half, we wanna get into a little more like the, the substance of the book. Um, so she does a really great job of, of explaining what it's like to be somebody in a wheelchair as a young person. She uh, struggles to get into school um, and she really wants to be a school teacher, but there's this, this whole um, uh, idea that voc rehab will not support at that point in time, and maybe it's still true, I don't know, but at that point in time that voc rehab would not support a person with a disability to be in a career that there were not other people with that similar disability already being in there, in that field. And I mean, there's this horrible, horrible section. It's not a horrible section of the book, but what she experienced was horrible where she's trying to become a school teacher and she's being, uh, she passes all the intellectual pieces, all the exams, she's got all the credentials and she is then goes through this medical procedure or not procedure, uh, exam <laughs> where they say that she can't be a teacher because she can't stand up is basically what they, they say. Um, and she, so she's fighting this. She, she pushes. Yeah, she pushes yeah. back. I don't yeah, need to stand back. up to teach. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, it, and, this, and this is a point in the book where, you know, you realize that uh, one of the things that was important about this book is, for me, is that it's really a book about, hey, what you are doing is so important because at that point in time, she connects, and I can't remember the man's name, but he was a lawyer who was also really critically involved with Roe v. Wade. Um, she goes in front of a judge and realizes that this is the first female Black judge uh, to be sitting on the bench. And so, so that 
was also critical. And so there's a lot of weaving in this book about how <laughs> having people in our society who are committed to a diverse and equitable society, what is that? Critical mass, critical mass. It kind of yeah. builds, it builds, it builds. Like yeah. a snowball. It rolls and, and it rolls and it rolls downhill right. and gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. And as and if that's not there, it makes it harder for every single individual. Um, and so this is where we come to the point in the book where um, something that I was not even familiar with, but she talks about, she's doing all this reading and, and she comes, she realizes that there is a piece of legislation that has a section in it called section 504 of the title five of the 1973 Rehabilitation Act. And as she reads it in the book, you, you, she basically, I don't know what, I don't know exactly where it is or I'd read it, but she's like, she stops and she reads it again. And she says, does that really say what I think it says? And what it said is that it is against the law for institution and programs receiving federal funding to be able to discriminate against people with disabilities. And it was, uh, I mean, this key that they- that It was the basis gonna, of the ADA. Yeah, yeah it, was it was the basis, basis of, the, of ADA. the ADA. And so there's this section in the book where, okay, great, this is in there. Let's get it signed. Mm -hmm. And it then, was just sitting, on, it was just moldering on someone's desk. Right. And then, I mean, even to the point where she like contacts, I think the, like the secretary, mm -hmm. the, uh, the assistant to the secretary of health, education and welfare, mm -hmm. Yep. And he's like, what's section 504? Yeah. But it's not even important to them. Mm -hmm. And so this is when we really see the activism <laughs> blossom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> and so, yeah, as it turns out, I mean, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. She <laughs> and a bunch of friends get together they're in San Francisco, but there's mm -hmm. also groups in Denver and DC. And what was the third one? Was it in New York? Uh, New York. Mm -hmm. They go okay. to these offices, HEW offices, and they occupy federal buildings mm -hmm. with yeah. their bodies mm -hmm. in their wheelchairs, with their crutches. They sit down in offices and, and refuse to leave. And that's the part, I mean, I just, it blew my mind because we're not talking about just like wheelchairs and crutches we're also talking about people who need special i mean care medication they need, they need medication they need you know uh to be people healthy. to turn them over in the night so they don't yeah. get bed sores yeah. i mean people with and, yeah Madison. one of the things i found really cool and inspiring when reading this um because of course it's at a time before cell phones before um, social media and stuff like that before was, email there was nothing right when they were in the building um, at one point they closed the doors so nobody was able to go in or out to relay mm -hmm. communications and they also only had like two pay phones that I feel like stopped working maybe even two mm -hmm. at one point mm -hmm. 
So to communicate with the people outside, they were using sign language. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just such a cool way yeah. of like, well, you can try to stop us, but we're actually, you know, we've got our power and um, using that to be able to continue doing what they were doing. And it, I don't know, that was one where I was just like, man, they were relentless at every point and they, um, you know, might've been looked at by the government or whoever else as weak and unable to do these sort of thing, you know, um, have a sit in for them. Right. Yeah. And, and then just being able to, at every turn still, um, push through like the, the hurdles that they would have had to, to, to do that. I just, and, and I just want to say that she talks about how that is possible. She talks about how every day they took time to meet and to make decisions together. And that, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that there were people in the group who, because of whatever had happened to their body, talked really slowly and everyone had space to express themselves and to be heard and 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 she's like yeah you know we were tired and you know to to meet once again that was that was a lot of work and yet it really talks about I mean she over and over again talks about the importance of community here's a great section I'm just going to share it because it also talks about the next thing I wanted to mention which is all the groups that finally came to help them as they're mm-hmm. in this building and don't have what they need. Um, she So this is at, during the occupation. She writes, we'd been in the building almost a week and we were settling into a kind of routine. In the mornings, the various committees would meet. The food committee planned meals and the medications committee compiled a list of needs. The Buttercup Restaurant, Brickhut Lesbian Cooperative and Glide Memorial were donating food in addition to the hot meals from the Black Panthers who mm-hmm. really stepped up in this case, right? Local pharmacists were helping with medications. Uh, In the late afternoon or evening, we would hold a building-wide meeting to share what we knew of events happening outside the building and our current thinking on strategy. Um, As it become our practice, the leadership team would hash through an approach and we'd present it to the larger group. We continued to maintain our policy of not starting the meetings until every single protester had arrived and the ASL interpreters were ready to start. And we insisted that the meetings not end until every last protester had had the chance to speak. This sometimes meant that our meetings didn't end until three in the morning, partly because some of us struggled with forming words as a result of our disability, and partly because we were dealing with issues we took very seriously. So that's when she's kind of outlining the the work and the process of what they developed here, which was unheard of. They had to create all this. There was no rule book for this. Well, and that's where... I think that going back to that, like sick is different than disabled, mm-hmm. because as I was sharing some of this with my brain injury support group, you know, some of the folks were kind of overwhelmed. They were like, oh, you know, how did they do that? Well, the thing is, is that that's the, the, the she talks about in the book, like no one was judged for saying, hey, I can't actually keep doing this. Because she said every person had to, to, to be able to like decide for themselves whether they had the energy, whether they were well enough, right? And I mean, and those people who were able to keep it going, 
kept it going. I mean, she even talks about that, like the, there was uh, like, I think the DC group stopped occupying earlier and mm -hmm. she was like, we, you know, yeah, I was we get frustrated. it. I was frustrated and we get it. We get it. I think um, it was really interesting to me to read this count of a sit-in too, because I guess, you know, in my head, I would imagine what it would look like, but just getting her first hand. And mm -hmm. so, you know, thinking back to last year, whenever we saw, um, you know, a violent protest take place mm -hmm. in DC, it was almost crazy for me to imagine, um, you know, a group of a hundred plus people going into a federal building, sleeping in the hallways, offices and whatnot. And then at the end of the week, it said that actually the security guards and the people who worked in that building had joined in with them. It was, you know, we're helping peaceful. Yeah. yeah. They, um, you know, were helping them out, whether it was helping them push wheelchairs or, you know, whatever it may be. And so I think for me, you know, I don't know what my conclusion would quite be on this yet, but just they were able to, you know, come and go and bring food and go home when they needed to, and then come back before they locked the doors and, mm -hmm. and cut off all of that. And um, just like what that means for democracy and, you know, the conversations that took place in those rooms during that time and the work that was built out of it. And it, it almost feels like a loss for today because I don't know if that would happen. I don't know if the mm -hmm. tension is just too high that it wouldn't be able to um, take place. So I don't know. Well, and that's, I mean, I think it, that's, that I, I was also struck because then, and I'm going to read the section in the book where she says, so it was Thursday, April 28th, 1973, the 24th day of the sit-in. Pat and I looked at each other. Was it true? We couldn't believe it, but it was true, right? And so what she wasn't actually there, she was, I believe, in DC um, when the 504 was finally signed. I was mm -hmm. told that there was jubilation on the fourth floor of the San Francisco Federal Building, vicarious, oh, not vicarious, victorious, shouting, hugging, laughter, and ultimately crying. Because it, as it turned out, people didn't want to leave the building. They'd made friends, had fun, fallen in love, and felt fully free to be themselves. And in the process, something magical had happened. In the cocoon of the building, a metamorphosis had occurred. We all feel in love with each other, Cece Weeks explained to a reporter. I've discovered that I count as a person, a protester told another reporter. Instead of seeing myself as a weak person, I found my strength reinforced by others like me, said another. I'm going to miss them, said a federal building guard. He had started learning sign language and hoped one day to become a sign language interpreter. They were real nice people. Nobody expected to feel as heartbroken as they did that the sit-in was ending. They decided to spend one last night together in the building to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, I, I really think that this, this, you know, in this time where, you know, I, I mean, I look at social media and this whole, I mean, I used the word woke earlier and I am using that intentionally because I am claiming it because it's a beautiful word. 
mm-hmm. right? I want, I don't want to be asleep. I don't want to be numb. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to be awake and alive. And that's, I feel like she really describes in this book, a, um, a movement, a, a civil rights movement that wasn't about like what you're talking about the January 6th, like that was about destruction. Mm-hmm. And that this movement was really about self-love. Mm-hmm. Right? And and right, yeah. And that made a whole big difference. Yeah. You know? So you the, know, I say, well, one thing we haven't talked about yet is how much that she from the second sentence of the book or third sentence, she keeps talking about how it's this is not about me. This mm-hmm. is not my story. I never felt like it was my story to tell, which is, again, is another very female thing, right? To not take credit, to have mm-hmm. that imposter syndrome. Um, so I can see that at play and then not being a burden and not being a bother, all that mm-hmm. on one hand. Um, but on the other hand, she's a badass. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, she did it and she's unrepentant. She And so, yeah. you know, that that tension between and then we haven't talked yet about how Victoria had said off mic that she got kind of bogged down in the names. And I think that is well, part of the same discussion the, of it not being just her story. Well, and actually, it wasn't just the names. It was it was like it just seemed like it was like coast roll, 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 juicy. Blah, blah. And then she gets to D.C. and I'm suddenly like, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> right? this, like there's about five pages there where I was just like, oh no. Like it almost felt like the bureaucracy of DC uh-huh. came through her writing. Yes. And I was like, oh my God, I, you know, this is, this is just uh, too many. It, it, it felt like history class again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too many names and, you know, battles and blah, blah, blah. And then it picks back up. It does. But, it does. But, you I know, mean, part of that, I think is for her, she has to feel like she needs to share credit where credit is due and also kind of name names, right? Mm-hmm. There's some people that are named called out in this book by name multiple times that I'd be embarrassed if I was mm-hmm. this person and I was on yeah. record of acting the way I acted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So and assigning then, credit and, I, and assigning blame. And then on the other side, there are those people that she's like, Hey, this person, like they made a difference. Mm-hmm. They made a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she doesn't want to leave anyone out. Yeah. And everybody who helped, she just is, you know, so worried that someone's going to feel slighted because yeah, it was such a female attitude in my mind as, you know, mm-hmm. to try to be so inclusive and trying to make sure everybody gets their um, props. I'll have, you know, I'll have yeah. to out myself I actually was already in love with Judy half in love with her before before I ever read this book mm-hmm. because one thing we've not mentioned um is she there's actually a film that mm-hmm. predates this book and they mention it in here it's called mm-hmm. Crip Camp C-R-I-P-C-A-M-P it came out in 2020 mm-hmm. and I saw it at, at True False of course mm-hmm. where you see good documentaries and she is featured prominently and this is that Camp Jened J-E-N-E-D that she mentions mm-hmm. uh, in the book going to it's a camp for dis- disabled kids and it's it's a camp it's like canoes and archery and horseback riding and all the things and parents would dump their kids out at this camp for a week two weeks three weeks with with um i got able-bodied for a better lack of a better mm-hmm. term um counselors and leave them i mean like mm-hmm. that is a leap of faith for a parent that's got mm-hmm. a kid with challenges mm-hmm. to leave them out in the wilderness with people they don't know Um, But it was, it was a place where these kids for the first time, sometimes some of them would see kids like themselves 
They were wholly human. They got to say what they wore, what they ate. They fell in love. They mm-hmm. dated, you know, um, this mm-hmm. is, this was like their world. And they, and some of them all year round, they were just kind of were living for the next time they could get to camp and be fully realized as people. And so if you don't want to read this book, or even if you do read this book, I would highly recommend the film Crip Camp as a, yeah. um, as a, as a pairing with this book. And there's footage from ni- the early 1970s and Ju- there's footage of Judy mm. as a 17, 18, 19 year old. And she's interviewed and she speaks on camera because they've got cameras and they've got, and they film yeah. themselves and it's so beautiful. So there's interviews, real day interviews with her at, in 2020, but then there's all this ar- archival footage and it's just fabulous the film is just fabulous and well, it, it also you, talks about the occupation a little bit that's on, my, that's on my list and I just haven't watched it yet but thank that's you for, so good yeah I feel more excited to watch it after getting like her tone a little bit mm-hmm. like it'd be fun I will say even after just reading this book I looked up I was like I want to see her because you know on, on the mm-hmm. cover there's a photo of her but I was like I want to see her like the age when she was doing this in it, like, you know, honestly, my age, I think she was like 27, maybe mm-hmm. at the time, or at least at the time when um, a lot of significant things were going on. And so I was just like, and every single photo I found online of her, it doesn't matter if it was in the last decade or from the 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. 90s, it's the biggest smile like every single one um Mm -hmm. she definitely seemed to have a big presence even in photos right so um I need to put that on yeah and a a lot of the people she mentions a lot of her friends from camp are the people she pulls in when it comes time to occupy this building and in the different cities she activates her network right her camp friends kind of I mean that's the basis of part of her network is who do I know from mm-hmm. camp? I know this person in DC, that person, and then they reach out and grab their friends and create these pockets of activists. So yeah. that camp, man, if it wasn't for that yeah. camp, none of this would have happened mm-hmm. or not like it did. Well, and I'd like to wrap up in our last few minutes with her words, because this is, I felt like one of the most important parts of this book. She says, remember what I told you about being given the implicit message that my needs were a burden to others? People with disabilities also have to work to overcome the feeling that asking for an equal opportunity is asking for too much. Part of the problem is that we tend to think that equality is about treating everyone the same when it's not. It's about fairness. It's about equity of access. And equity of access, whether to housing, health, education, or employment, looks different for someone like me and the hundreds of thousands of us who cannot do things the same way than it does for the majority of people who can. It involves ramps, wider doorways, bars, sign language interpreters, captioning, accessible technology, audio descriptions, documents in braille, and personal assistance for those with physical disabilities as those with intellectual disabilities. When this is not understood, we get framed as complaining and selfish, even though we're simply asking for the same rights as everyone else. This especially happens to women. We're called demanding. And if we refuse to back down, we're relentless. But labeling us as demanding and relentless is just a different way of trying to make us submit. So any last words just to add on to that? There's the feminist angle, right? 
Yeah. I mean, there's where feminism comes in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I just, I feel like my life and my understanding of the world is richer for having seen this through her experiences through her eyes. I mean, it definitely opened up this book and the film Crip Camp. Um, Mm -hmm. Just her fear, her fearlessness uh, of being left at camp, of taking a motorized wheelchair into into Africa, into small Mm -hmm. villages in Africa, you know, I mean, and and being really vulnerable in those Mm -hmm. positions with a motorized wheelchair in places they don't even have electricity, you know, Mm -hmm. very reliably. Yeah. 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 Anything, Madison, that you want to share as your last thought? And then we will. I think my final thought would just be, you know, so thankful to activists and people like Judy who did the work in the past that really sets the foundation moving forward. I mean, one thing that I think about, um, I'm not left-handed, but even now in schools, it's near impossible to find a left-handed desk. So it's like, I know we've we've made a lot of um, gains as far as, you know, electric doors or, you know, ramps and sidewalks and stuff like that. But it just seems like there's a lot we could do if we just started kind of thinking outside of our norm and outside of, um, you know, just habits and routines of how things have been. So um, it's really exciting to think about more people reading this book, more able-bodied people reading this book and being more aware and maybe being um, you know, more likely to offer help or assistance and act. Yeah. And and become activists. Yeah. Yeah. And support this activism. Um, you know, and that, and that can be in a lot of ways. So that was kind of what I got out of it. It was just like, oh, you know, I think sometimes, especially as a woman, this goes to what we were speaking to. If I'm in public, and maybe I see somebody trying to open a door or whatever. Like I, my first instinct might be to help them, but then I'm like, well, I don't want to help them because what if I help them? And then they think that I'm like overstepping me mm. being in my, you know, whatever. And so, yeah. And then I realized, no, we're all here together. We're all working together. And, um, you know, yeah. as somebody who has the ability to do that, um, why not? Why wouldn't well, I? Right. And like, for me, it it you saying that it's like what I have learned before this book and and in reading this book, being reminded, ask, ask. That in itself is changing. Would you like help with the door? And if the person says no, I've got it. Respecting them, and if yeah. they say, oh yeah, thank you, right? Ask. Yeah. 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 I so, feel better prepared to be an ally, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I would have said before I read this book, yeah, sure, I support disability rights. But having read this book, I feel like I'm now have in my heart a, a place of information about how mm-hmm. we got where we are now and the fight that took place and a better understanding of how I can be an ally for those folks. For sure. So thank you, listener, for being with us. This is Women's Issues, Women's Voices. Um, We are on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia. We are a feminist 
radio show and collective 